So the scripture reading today is from Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. This is the word of God. Uh, I know we just prayed, but let's pray again, because I know I need it. Lord, our word is now open. Your word is now open before us. And we thank you for the, the power of your word. Pray that we would find it powerful and true in our lives. Uh, and that you would teach us this morning by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please turn in your Bibles, or a pew Bible, or your phone Bible app, to the book of Exodus. How many people know where Exodus is? The second book of the Bible, most of you. Um, today, we start a brand new sermon series going through this entire book, the book of Exodus. And as you're getting there, I want to tell you why we're doing this. Um, there's a new TV show, I haven't seen it, but I heard an interview about it, um, which starts this way. A man wakes up from a car accident, having had a car accident in a strange place, in a desolate place, and he has no idea how he got there, where he is, or even who he is. He doesn't know his name, he doesn't know anything. And the, the rest of the show is about him trying to figure out who he is. He has no identification, nothing. And I was thinking about that because we cannot understand who we are without knowing our story. You know, you have a story. Your life has a story. I, I was born in this place. I grew up in this family. I went to this school. I got this job. I married this person. Your life has a story. We tell stories about our families. Our families tell stories, uh, funny stories or sad stories or hopeful stories about what has happened that kind of shape who we are as a family, right? Our, this church has a story. Our country has a story. In fact, one of the biggest debates or um, conflicts right now in public education is who gets to tell the story and what is the story? Is it the 1619 Project and is it the story of slavery uh, developing in our country? Or is it the Mayflower and the Pilgrims and the Revolutionary War and the Declaration of Independence? Or is it both? How do we tell the story? However we remember our story really affects who we are now. We also understand our salvation through a story. We understand salvation through a story it's a story that answers questions like, who is God? What has he done? Who are we? What are we saved from? What are we saved for? 
Where are we headed? All of those questions are answered in the book of Exodus. Now, they're answered uh, for the people of Israel. The book of Exodus was written probably, probably by Moses before they entered the promised land to remind God's people of all these things so they wouldn't forget their story. Because, you see, the constant danger for them and for us is to forget or to believe other stories. So when Israel would stray and start worshiping idols, they were forgetting who their God was. When we, when we buy into the narratives that the culture around us is feeding us, that life is about success or money or pleasure or family or God and country, whatever it is, other than the story of our salvation, we begin to lose our way. Stories are important. And that's why we need this book, because we, if we're going to walk the life of faith, we need to remember the true story. But what about the fact that Exodus is way before Jesus, and we, our salvation centers in Christ, right? Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, none of that makes sense apart from the story of Exodus. This, again and again, when the New Testament authors wanted to explain who Jesus was and what he's doing and what he's all about, they quote the book of Exodus. I, I found a stat this week that the New Testament contains about 240 references to the book of Exodus making it the third most quoted book after Isaiah and Psalms. I didn't, I didn't test that myself, but it rings true based on my own Bible reading. Um, you can't hardly get through a page of the New Testament without a, an image or a quote or some reference to the story of Exodus. That's why it matters. When Jesus said... I am the bread of life who came down from heaven. What is he referring to? Manna from Exodus. When Jesus tell the, tells the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am, he's quoting Exodus, the burning bush. When John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he is quoting Exodus. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. This is going to be a really... We're going to get a lot out of this book. When Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, he's quoting Exodus. When all, Paul, and the New, Paul and all the other New Testament writers called Jesus the Passover lamb, where is that image coming from? Exodus. We can only truly understand the Exodus story if we know Jesus but we can also only understand Jesus and our own salvation story if we understand Exodus. It is that foundational. One of my goals for this series is to help you see how the Bible interlocks and fits together and works together as one story fulfilled in Christ. It's a salvation story. And to do that, we need to see the salvation story in Exodus. So, are you excited? I am. 
You can hoop and holler, that's okay. Um, <laughs> today, all we're going to do today, all we are going to do today is to open up to this passage in Exodus 6. Now, chapter 6 might seem like an odd place to start, but I'm going here because there is a short summary of really what happens in the whole story. Um, and just for context, Moses has confronted Pharaoh and, and told him that God wants him to let the people go. Moses says no. It kind of backfires. Things get worse for the Israelites. And so Moses goes back to God and says, look, this is never going to work. And God reminds Moses of what is happening and tells him what he's going to do. Now, in, this, in these two verses, uh, three verses, we see four things that Exodus is about. Four things that it will, will show us. So, number one, look at verse six. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. Pause there. This book is a story about God, about who God is. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we are introduced to this God. We see his, his character and his ways revealed partially. But in Exodus is where God's nature really comes into focus, where he really reveals himself more fully. He reveals his name, Yahweh. And through his words and his actions, he shows what he is like. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's a merciful God. He is a saving God, but he's also a jealous God, a God of fire, a God of judgment. If we come to this story with open hearts, there is a lot that will comfort us and a lot that will make us, give us a holy uh, uh, conviction or unsettling, and that's good. A Bible scholar named Christopher Wright says this, It is Exodus that establishes for all generations to follow that Yahweh is a God of justice and compassion, God of, might, a God of mighty power in judgment and redemption, God of covenantal promise and demand, God of scorching cosmic holiness who chooses to come down and dwell in a tent. The God of Israel is above all the God of Exodus, he says. So we're going to see what God is like. Now, how many of you have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? In that story, there's a scene where Lucy Pevensey, this little six-year-old girl from England who's traveled into a magical world with her siblings, is asking Mr. Beaver about Aslan. Aslan is the, the, he's a lion and he's the king of Narnia. He represents God or Christ in this book. And um, Lucy says, well, is he safe? Referring to Aslan. Safe, Mr. Beaver replies. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. We're going to see in Exodus that God is not safe, but he's good. We face a constant 
temptation in our lives to sort of scale down God or shrink down God to a manageable size that we can control or that, that we can, um, you know, uh, fit into our lives. And Exodus will not let us do that. So thank God, because we don't want to worship an idol. We want to worship the true God. And Exodus will teach us who he is. Number two, Exodus is a story about God's saving power. Look at verse six again. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. This is the part of the story that everyone knows. If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, or if you've ever been to Sunday school, you, you know the story. The first four chapters talk about how God raises up a deliverer for the people of Israel who are oppressed, enslaved, uh, for the, 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 the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Um, uh, they are enslaved. God hears their groaning and remembers his covenant with Abraham, right? And then chapters 5 through 14 tell about the dramatic confrontation between uh, God via Moses and the gods of Egypt and the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, who was seen as a god. So there's this clash of powers when all the, the God sends the plagues to, to decimate the powers of Egypt. And again and again, Pharaoh you know, says you can go and then changes his mind and says you can't go. And another plague comes and there's just this power back and forth between their oppressor and God. And finally, you know, the last plague where God says every firstborn male of Egypt will die. And he tells the Israelites to slaughter a lamb and to spread its blood on their doorframe and and. When the destroying angel sees that, it will pass over their house and spare them. The Passover. And so on that night, uh, God, what God said came true, and the Israelites are, are forced out of Egypt. But on their way, the army pursues them, and, and he, they pursue them right up to the edge of the Red Sea. We're going to talk about the Red Sea. Where is it? What is it? And they're, they're stuck. They're pinched between this this water, this uncrossable water on one side and the most powerful army in the world on the other. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, that which threatens to drown them becomes a highway of their escape. And in one dramatic act of judgment, God parts the waters of the sea, leads his people through, and then uh, the waves come crashing back down on the Egyptian army destroying Israel's enemy. It's a story, Exodus is a story of God's dramatic saving power. Notice in verse 6, how many times God says, I will, I will bring you out, I will free you, I will redeem you. It continues to verse 7, I will take you as your, my people, I will be your God this story is driven forward by the power and the, 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 the initiative of God. And as we go through Exodus, I hope that you will see in your lives that God has power to save you. 
not just in a final sense from judgment, but he has power to do the impossible, to rescue you from impossible situations, to destroy your enemy, your spiritual enemy, and to lead you to safety. This is an amazing story. Number three, Exodus is a story about God's covenant. So it's about God, it's about his saving power, and it's about God's covenant. Most of the time, unfortunately, when we read the story of Exodus, we stop right after they cross the sea. Like, yay, they made it. There's still two-thirds of the book left after that, right? What happens next? Well, not only does Exodus tell us what we are saved from, but the next two-thirds of the people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out, out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. They're saved for a purpose, to be God's people. You know, in our culture, we talk a lot about freedom. My freedom, my rights, my liberty. But unfortunately, we often frame that as what we are free from, the constraints we are free from, the powers we're free from, to be who we want to be, to make up our own minds, to govern ourselves. That's not at all the biblical idea of freedom. In the Bible, in Exodus, we are freed from a powerful enemy for relationship with God, for following his laws, for dwelling with him. That's true freedom. So after the people cross the sea, what happens next? They, ha- they have to begin to learn to be this new people. They have to learn to follow God and to trust him and to obey him. And to be honest, it doesn't go well. Well, the people of Israel are a lot like us, doubting, fickle, stubborn, uh, scarred from their past experience. But again and again, God teaches them how to trust him. We're going to learn a lot about trusting God from this book. The center of the story is Exodus 19. Do you know what happens then? Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. God leads his people to this mountain in the wilderness, and God appears to them in smoke and fire and an earthquake. He really gets their attention, and he gives them his law, and he establishes a covenant with them, an agreement to be their God, and they will be his people and follow him and obey him. Now, in Exodus, we'll see Grace comes before law. God saves them not because of anything they had done, but because he wanted to save them. And then he leads them to the place, to Mount Sinai, and gives them his law and says, look, this is how you can stay in a relationship with me. I want to dwell among you. I want to protect you. I want you to be my special people. I've given you a special purpose to represent me to the nations. And here's how we can do that. So he gives them his law. They are saved so they can belong to God, so that he can dwell with them. Remember a few weeks ago, I preached on this very idea. The goal of our faith is union with God, is being with God. And that's exactly what we see in Exodus. 
Uh, in chapter 29, don't turn there, but there's a verse that, that really sums this up. God says, I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. You see? Exodus is about what we're saved for, God dwelling among us. Now, as we move through that second half of the, of the book, we're going to encounter some things that make us scratch our heads. Like, huh? What is that about? We'll find obscure uh, laws. There's a lot more than just the Ten Commandments. There are other laws in Exodus. What do we do with these laws? Are they for us? Are they not for us? How do we know? We'll find uh, animal sacrifice and blood and uh, uh, animal organs and entrails. We'll find um, priests and altars. We'll find, um, not to mention, chapter upon chapter of detailed architectural schematics for this special tent. What do we do with that? Most of the time, we just breeze right over that stuff. But we're going we're gonna to drill into it and see how important this was for Israel because it was about God dwelling with people, God being with them. And as we do, we'll learn some really important stuff like our identity and our mission. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We'll learn about covenantal obedience. What does God require of us? What does that look like in the new covenant? We'll learn about what it means to be the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Or as Christopher Wright again puts it, what it means that the church is God's address on earth. We'll also learn about the danger of disobedience. Now, there's a lot of warnings for us in Exodus that we would do well to heed. In chapter 32, the whole story is moving, you know, uh, toward this goal of God dwelling with his people and leading them into the promised land. And then, boom, it all comes crashing down because, because shortly after they've been freed and given the law, they make this big statue of a calf out of gold and they start worshiping it and they start having feasts and and, and a huge party and, and engaging in debauchery and saying, yay, this is our God. It's like a picture of ultimate failure. So what happens? Well, we learn that our relationship with God can only be sustained by his mercy. That's it. So we're going to learn a lot from this book about God making his covenant with us. And of course, we will have to see it through the lens of Jesus. Finally, number four, short, quickly look at verse eight. God says, And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Exodus is about a journey to a future home. A journey from slavery to freedom, from fear to peace, 
from the wilderness to the land of promise. Now, they never get there in the book of Exodus, but they're on the way. They're on the way. And so this is a story that teaches us how to follow God because we are also on a journey to a promised land. Do you ever wonder how to follow God's leading? How to sense his presence in your life? I pray that Exodus will teach us how to follow him on the journey that we're on. So Exodus is about God. It's about God's saving power. It's about God's covenant with us, his people. And it's about our journey. And finally, to wrap this all up, the salvation story of Exodus is the pattern for a much greater salvation story in Jesus. I want to drive that point home with one important uh, New Testament reference. Just mentally flip in your Bibles to the story of Jesus' transfiguration in Luke chapter 9. Uh, some of you might not know what that means, but that's okay. Um, so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the final time. He knows he's going to be betrayed and um, murdered, and then he's going to rise again. And it says in Luke 9 that he takes Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain. And when they get there, his appearance is transformed. His face is as bright as a bolt of lightning, it says. And the disciples watch this transformation, and then they notice two people standing with Jesus. Do you know who they are? Elijah and Moses. And then it says, they talked together about his exodus. They talked about his departure, but the word in Greek is exodus. Because Jesus was about to lead the ultimate exodus. Not from slavery in Egypt, but from sin and death. Not just for some people, but for all people who would trust him. Imagine that one of the people from Israel who lived through Exodus was standing here today. Imagine that she came up to this pulpit and said something like this. Let me tell you my story. We were enslaved by a strong oppressor, but God sent a deliverer to rescue us. He destroyed our enemy and brought us through the waters. Then he made a covenant with us to be our God and to make us his special people. He gave us his laws. Then he came to dwell among us. And now he's leading us to a new land where we can live with him in peace. And those of us who are in Christ would say, that's our story too, right? We were enslaved by a strong oppressor, the power of sin. But God sent a deliverer, Jesus, who redeemed us and destroyed the power of our enemy. We followed him through the waters of baptism. And then through the blood of the new covenant, we became God's own special people, the church. He gave us the law of Christ, and he came to dwell among us by his spirit. And now we are following him to a new home where we will live with him in peace. Our story is a pattern, is patterned after the Exodus 
story. That's what I want to drive home. Exodus is not just a salvation story. It is the salvation story. This is our story. That's why we're going to go through it together. So let's enter this story and allow it to shape us. Let's pray. Lord, the author of this story and of all, uh, of all truth, we thank you that we have this story to look back at and to um, kind of orient ourselves to. Thank you that you have um, saved us just like you did the people of Israel. You saved us from an enemy that was too strong for us, the power of sin and death. Thank you that you led us through, um, uh, you lead us through the wilderness. You, sus- you sustain us. You uh, bring us into covenant with yourself. And as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper, that sign of the new covenant in blood, the blood of Christ, we remember, Lord, this is our story. So please, um, let this story be, be the one that shapes us and tells us who we are and um, uh, protects us from believing lies or false narratives. We want to look to you. We want to know what it means to be your people and to trust you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.